Hey friends, listen, there's got to be a better way to find, support, develop the next generation of church leaders for your team. Where is the next you coming from? We've all been talking about this really since I graduated from college, which is a lifetime ago. I remember and still know what it's like to have enough time to do day-to-day ministry, all the things that are on your plate as an executive pastor or lead pastor, a person leading a department without chasing the leads and following up the resumes and onboarding people. And then on top of all that, if you really are having an eye to do that in the context of a developmental pipeline for Gen Z, listen, friends, this is where the good people over at Leadership Pathway come in. They have experienced in all of this and they've collectively interviewed thousands and thousands of ministry leaders to help them take their next step in ministry. They will help you launch a leadership residency. This is really what you should be doing, thinking two, three years down the road. So you'll have a whole group of young leaders ready, willing, and trained in your ministry. Really, this leadership residency will be custom fit to your organization. So hit up their website, leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary. There's an interesting article there that you really should grab if you're looking for your next hire. Again, friends, leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary. Where is the next you coming from? I firmly believe that's coming through a custom residency program that you should be launching soon. Leadershippathway.org forward slash unseminary today. Are you looking for practical ministry help to inform and inspire your leadership? Do you have a sinking feeling that your ministry training didn't prepare you for the real world? Hey, you're not alone. Join thousands of other leaders in pursuit of stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Welcome to the Unseminary Podcast, presented by CDF Capital, helping churches grow. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary. Well, hey, everybody, welcome to the Unseminary Podcast. So glad that you have decided to tune in. You know, every week we bring you a leader who will both inspire and equip you, and today is no exception. Super excited to have Mike Bonham with us. He is a coach, a consultant, but more than that, he's a friend of church leaders like you. He's been in this uh, for, you know, 20 plus years, works with congregations, denominational leaders, nonprofits, really to help through vision discernment, strategy, all different kinds of things, organizational design. But like I say, Mike, more than all that, is a friend of church leaders and so, so honored to have him on the show. Mike, welcome. So glad you're here. Thanks so much, Rich. I'm really excited to be back on the show with you. Yeah, glad that you're here. Uh, fill out the picture there a little bit. for What What did I miss on the 30-second Who is Mike conversation? <laughs> No, I mean, you nailed it pretty well. And I, I really like the way you said, you know, a friend of pastors and ministry leaders, because that, mm-hmm. that's what I want to be. I've, I've served as an executive pastor for a decade and had a career in business before that. Uh, mm-hmm. And probably the most mm-hmm. important thing of who is Mike Bonham is I'm married and we have four adult children and a couple of grandchildren. Love it. So good. Yeah. I know my wife is, we were talking before we got on, we're in the the empty nester phase or starting the empty nester phase. And she's eagerly looking forward to that next phase, which you mentioned there at the end. And I'm like, don't rush it. Don't rush it. You know, but we'll see. It'll, it'll be great. Well, it was funny before we got on I, again, I said this to Mike, I was like, my, it feels like, you know, when were we on again? And I know, I know COVID seems to have like, it makes it has made it weird to think about time. Like everything's kind of strange and I look back. It was 2016. The last time Mike was on, but I'm actually an avid follower of Mike. Read his newsletter. It's so good. Such great stuff that comes 
uh, out of him. It's been quite a while. These last number of years, man, change has been on the horizon. You have a great position in that you interact with a lot of different church leaders. What what is what are you seeing as some of those changes that church leaders are continuing to deal with that are like, hey, it's it, it's kind of like top of mind, things that come uh, that church leaders are wrestling with uh, these days in this, whatever phase we find ourselves uh, in our churches these days. Well, that's just it. I think we're not even sure what phase we find ourselves in, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, There was, you know, it's it's interesting to think about change at this stage, you know, kind of beyond the onset of the pandemic, because Mm -hmm. everybody had to make massive changes right when the pandemic hit in the spring of 2020. Uh, And I was surprised actually at how well people made those changes, big churches, small churches, mm-hmm. how quickly mm-hmm. and how well, for the most part, they mm-hmm. adapted. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it's been much more of a struggle uh, coming out of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, I heard mm-hmm. lots of leaders in the first six to 12 months of the pandemic saying, oh, this is a this is a huge opportunity for us to rethink everything. And when we get on the other side of the pandemic, we're going to be fundamentally different than we were before. Mm-hmm. This, is a, mm-hmm. this is a great opportunity to break the mold. And mm-hmm. yet, um, many of the people that I interact with, they're falling right back into that mold, or, or probably mm-hmm. more accurately, they feel like they're being pushed back mm-hmm. into that old mold by, mm-hmm. you know, by a number of different conditions. And so, mm-hmm. as much as anything right now, I think one of the big change questions is, can we really make some, some significant shifts in how we think about doing church? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I uh, I'm an for long term listeners of the podcast. They know that I'm an an avid follower of the Disney Company as a company, and you know love mostly what they produce. And you know, I just read this interesting article where their CEO was talking about the the change on the movie side, how how people consume movies, and how they've you know the thing that was interesting. I thought for us in our little world is 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 they were saying, hey, our read on it is people are fundamentally changed in how the types of movies they want to go and see. And they, the idea of the event, you know, is still a deal. People will show up for, in their case, big Avengers movies, big Star Wars, whatever. But that probably the shift around, you know, smaller movies and people won't go out to buy popcorn for those. They'll just watch them on their, in their case, Disney Plus, which got me thinking about our world. And like, you know, there was a lot of those conversations two, three years ago. What difference is the church online going to make? And, and it does feel like we're on kind of the shakeout side of all that. We're like, it's OK. <laughs> we And I hear it this all the time from church leaders. We have all these people watching online, still no idea who those people are, no idea how that fits in our ministry model, no idea what to do with them. And, uh, you know, we're looking at our own kind of what we used to call in-person attendance, like all of that. We're, We're still wrestling with kind of the impact of how all that, you know, what that looks like going forward. Change, it is really a constant um, now, when I think about change, so you mentioned something interesting there. You talked about they're being pushed into change. Uh, talk to me more about that. And and is because because my experience has been, and it could be that it's just the seat I'm in. I feel more like resistance from change. Like it's like there's more people around me saying like, "Oh, I don't want to change." But tell me more about that. Let's talk about that idea of being pushed in or resistance to change. What's that look like? Well, what what I said was they're being pushed back into the old mold. So oh, it, it, right. It's exactly yes. what you're talking about. It's the resistance <laughs> yes. to change. It's yes. the, you know, the, the for many church leaders, uh, the people that are back showing up and that are still mm-hmm. faithfully giving money to the church, mm-hmm. uh, many of those people are the ones who are saying, can we just go back to the way it was before? Right. 
Right. And so it's it's so it is that resist. So this golden opportunity to do some things differently is running into intense resistance from people saying we just want to have it the way it was in 2019. Right. Can we go back to our same Sunday schedule? Can we go back to our same you know programming and do everything the way it was? And mm-hmm. so yeah, it's very it, we're saying the same thing, just using a couple of different words, Rich. Yeah, I love it. So let's pull that apart. What is it? What is what? What are some ways that resistance could show up in our people? What is that? What could that look like in you know maybe some of those conversations or some of the ways people might uh, you know engage with us when we uh, when we talk about change? Oh, I, you know, I'm I, one uh, executive pastor I've worked with. Uh, you know, they changed their whole worship format uh, when COVID mm-hmm. hit. When they came back in person. They said, Mm -hmm. we don't have enough people to do a traditional and a contemporary service. We're going to do a blended service. Um, Mm. And, you know, this is not a, a, I'm not advocating for or against the blended style of worship, but, you know, her opinion is it's really worked for them. And Mm. yet uh, more than a year into being back in a format that they believe is working and most people are saying is working well, they have Mm -hmm. a handful of people that are still saying, when are we going to go back to the old schedule with two worship services, one Mm. traditional and one contemporary? Interesting. Why why can't we have it the way we had it before? Yes, yes. Well, I so literally this morning I was out for a walk talking to a friend, church leader on on the phone, and he said he was in a fairly senior leadership meeting, similar resistance, uh, where they were talking in about a change, a potential change, and literally the words that were used by and this is a like church that's looking to reach people and do you know all kinds of things. He, he said, you know, these, these, this group of senior leaders, literally one of them said, well, I'm just really comfortable how things are now. Like I'm, I'm, and, and he was like, whoa, wait a second. <laughs> like, so, I, you know, when, since when did comfortability become the, the value as opposed to the mission of our church? How do we not just run over people uh, in that, because I, I guess my tendency is like, and I, you know, and I, I reacted strongly when <laughs> this leader said that I was like, wow, you got the wrong people around the table. I didn't quite say that, but you know, that would be my natural uh, tendency. Now that's not the right way to go, but talk me through how coach me on that. How should we be thinking differently about maybe the people who are resisting change and not just putting them in a category of like, okay, those people just didn't get rid of those people. <laughs> those people are not the people we want, uh, around the table. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great question, uh, Rich. And the and, and it happens all the time. Sometimes people mm-hmm. are not as explicit in saying, I, I like mm-hmm. my comfort. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and that does become a real obstacle to change. What mm-hmm. what I would say is we need to understand what they mean by comfort. Mm-hmm. You know, where where's that coming from? Mm-hmm. Is it um because it's a red flag for me too, but like I, I know um if I heard that from a church staff member today, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. one thing that would run through my mind is it's been a hard two and a half, three years for church staff. Mm-hmm. It, this, this, I'm comfortable just mean I've been running so hard for this last two mm-hmm. and a half years that I just want to mm-hmm. catch my breath for a minute before we launch into something new. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Or is it somebody saying, is, is comfort really uh, synonymous with I'm scared of what that change might entail? I'm scared we might mm-hmm. fail. I'm scared that mm-hmm. uh you know that we're gonna that there's gonna be major conflict over it that's going to pull our church apart uh, mm. those are those are really different ways of, or is it i'm just comfortable and you know i, I don't want jesus to make me uncomfortable right which right right you know, right right so uh, so i would i what i would hope that a leader would do if they found themselves mm-hmm. in that kind of conversation mm-hmm. is to get curious 
about what the person mm-hmm. really means when they say I'm comfortable mm-hmm. and what's underneath that. Yeah, I love that. And and instead of just volley, I, I feel like my natural tendency would be to volley back with, hey, this is the mission. Here's the strategy. We agreed to this thing that was on paper. Let, we're pushing ahead. Instead of what you're, what I hear you saying, I think what I hear you saying is like slowing down. Hey, let's take some time. It's the, you know, we have a lot of executive pastors listening in. It's the pastor side of executive pastor, right? It's the, hey, let's actually try to, to listen, to care for people in the midst of that. What does that look like? That kind of, you know, the more relational, we'll call it the soft side. How, what are some ways that we could do that? Um, you know, if we find ourselves with some potential resistors to change. Well, you know, a starting point is we're being more and more conditioned socially to, to think of everything in the world as being divided into two, two camps. Those mm. who are for me, those who are against me, right? I mean, that, that's so the, good. And, and so the, the very first thing you have to do is, is try to recognize when that mindset is popping up for you mm. and, and, and purge it, right? It's like, right. no, I'm not, I'm not going to, to immediately think of people who are resisting as being my enemy. Uh, mm. and, and then to, to really to lean into them rather than leaning away from them, rather than saying, mm. look, I'm, I, you know, I just want to surround myself with people who think like me. I need to pull back and say, no, I, you know, actually, this person who's resisting may have a valid opinion. I need to explore what's mm. behind that, what's underneath mm-hmm. that. You know, tell me more of why, you know, you think this is not a good idea. Maybe, uh, you know, they're going to they're they will have thought of something you've not thought of, you know, the. Mm. I think of the uh, kind of big picture visionary leader who says, oh, yeah, the, we need to we need to charge up this hill. Mm-hmm. And the more detailed oriented person in the congregation, whether it's a staff member or a, a, a volunteer leader mm-hmm. who says, wait a minute, I have three questions before we charge up that hill. The visionary leader hears that as resistance. The person mm-hmm. really actually has some legitimate questions like which right. side of the hill are we going up? Right. And that, that actually makes a difference. <laughs> yes. Yes. I love that. That's a great, I love that. That's a great analogy. Like, and, and trying to see folks uh, as not the us versus them, that all those, which can be often, like you say, false dichotomies, They're like, let's slow down. Hey, we're, we're, you know, people haven't, particularly when we talk about leaders that are still with us, the people that are still journeying with us now, they're, uh, there have been lots of opportunities over the last two, three years for them to opt out. The fact that they're still with us <laughs> means that they're committed to the mission, right? They're not, they're at some level have stuck in because there've been a number of places along the way where they could have opted out. They could have pulled away. Yeah. I think the other thing actually that what you just said brings up for me is you said they're committed to the mission and I, I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt and believe that mm-hmm. they really are committed to the mission. But mm-hmm. I'm also going to wonder, is the mission clear enough? Mm. Um, you know, what like when I'm saying we need to do this, charge up again, charge up this yep. hill because that that's where the mission leads us. Mm-hmm. And somebody else is raising questions about it. It may be that I have a different interpretation of the mission than they do, and we right. need to go all the way back to the start, right, and say let's let's talk about the mission. What is it? What is our understanding of what it means and what are the implications of it? Uh, mm-hmm. And that can be an incredibly important conversation, especially right now. Yeah, that's a good insight. I think particularly in, again, whatever this phase is of, you know, that we're kind of post whatever in mid whatever, um, it does feel like we have to come back to revisiting the mission vision stuff and keep in, in front of that, keeping that in front of people working hard to say, Hey, what are, what do we need? What can we do to ensure that people are, 
are with us and doing the extra work on our side, owning that. Hey, that's our job. Uh, that's our job to keep that in front of people. Um, now, what, when you think about uh, change in this season, what else is kind of at top of mind as you're wrestling through uh, what it could look like, how, to, how, how we should be thinking about change? What are you learning on that front as you're leading people? So, you know, I've, I've been working with, uh, with Churches Rich for 20 years, I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. For, yeah, more than 20 years now. And uh, I, early on, I really was much more of an advocate of a classic strategic planning model that looks three to five mm-hmm. years into the future. Um, mm-hmm. And there's still value in that uh, mm-hmm. at times. But, but especially in this season, I think we need to focus a lot more on what's the right next step. Mm. Um, it, it needs to be, it clearly needs to be informed by the mission, but mm-hmm. you know, thinking we can make plans that stretch out two years, three years into the future is mm. uh, just doesn't seem very realistic or even very wise mm-hmm. stewardship right now. I'd, I'd mm-hmm. much rather focus on given our mission, what is our best interpretation of what the next steps are that we should take over the next mm. six to 12 months. Yeah, that's uh, what I was going to ask you. What, is, that, the, what yeah. is the time horizon that you're thinking about? Because I think that's a good insight. How far out are you thinking? A year, kind of like the next budget cycle, or what, what does that look like? I, I think, uh, yeah, I think six to 12 months. Six, yeah. six months is long enough to run an experiment, uh, to mm-hmm. try something new, and mm-hmm. to either make some assessment that this seems to be working, or, or it needs to be, it could work, but it needs to be tweaked, or this wasn't a good idea at all. Um, mm. So, so yeah, kind of sick. And, and it depends obviously on what kind of initiative you're talking about. If, mm-hmm. if we want to do something, uh, ministry with, uh, a local elementary school, we probably ought to make a commitment to them for the entire school year, mm-hmm. right? Or at yes, least for a yes. semester. Um, yep. if, if, we're, if we're talking about something that actually has implications for the facility, that's going to require some remodeling of a facility, we may need to look a little bit longer, right? Because right. once, once you start tearing up or adding on to uh, a building, <laughs> you know, you don't change that after six months. Uh, right. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. That's stuff for is a lot of those ministry initiatives. Yeah. Six to 12 months is a good time frame. Yeah. And there's a new, it's, it's true. I find myself in similar conversations where we're, we're exercising our, um, you know, mid year budget reevaluation process more than we have, you know, in the last 10, 15 years, you know, we're, we're working harder on the, okay, you know, we're halfway through this year. What do we need to readjust? How do we need to, um, look at. And, you know, the interesting thing, and this this brings us to, you You released a book a few months ago called The Art of Leading Change, 10 Perspectives on the Messiness of Ministry. The thing why I appreciate this book and appreciate this insight is there is uh, a part of this that you've captured so well uh, that um, there's an art side to what we do that's not science. It's not, it doesn't fit super well in a spreadsheet, which I know for us who like spreadsheets, uh, that it can be difficult Talk to me about that. Talk to me about what you mean by the art of leading change. Yeah, the and thanks for asking, Rich. The um, that book that I wrote twenty years ago was on leading was called Leading Congregational Change, and I often mm-hmm. introduced it uh, when I would speak at a conference or a seminar, and say this is going to be more about the science of leading change. The it's mm. the it's the process. It was based on partly on John Cotter's model from his business book, mm-hmm. Leading Change. So it's, you know, mm-hmm. here's the steps you need to take. Here's the, you know, here's how you think about it in a real concrete scientific way. And, and mm-hmm. I would always say, even when I was introducing that 20 years ago, is there's a whole art to leading change that's mm-hmm. much harder to convey, 
and that I'm not mm -hmm. going to be talking about it in today's seminar. And so I finally <laughs> came back to that idea, uh, you know, here with this book that was just released and said, you know what, it's time to talk about the art, the messiness, mm. which always comes back to people. It's always mm. related to people. Mm -hmm. it, and actually what we've talked about um, earlier in this conversation are a couple of the points in the book. The, the mm. idea that resistors are not the enemy uh, mm -hmm. and the idea of take the right next step are two of those ideas that, that I draw on in talking about the art uh, of leading mm -hmm. change, the, the, the mm -hmm. things that are more subjective and harder to, to codify in a spreadsheet. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love that. And I think that acknowledges it's that interesting tension, right? That that um, it's it's both sides. We need to have we do need to have a science. We do need to have approach. We can't just be willy nilly. Uh, talk to me more about the messiness. Let's talk about that a little bit, because, uh, you know, we all have the short the hand joke for that. It's like, oh, ministry would be so great if it wasn't for the people or, you know, like we all have some way of kind of, uh, you know, that's like the black humor of a surgeon who's like, you know, making fun of the people he's working on. We have that kind of in our mind, like, gosh, this is just tough with people. Uh, talk me through that. Why is it so messy? Well, because people are involved and people are messy is, is the yes. short answer, right? Yes, uh, yes. And so, um, you know, we, 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 we talked earlier about, well, the people that are there are still committed to the mission. But mm -hmm. because we're humans, we all mm -hmm. hear that mission through our own filters and through our own mm -hmm. lenses. Mm -hmm. And we interpret it slightly differently. And so then we say, we're going to make this decision. And this is obvious what we should do because, of mm -hmm. our, because it's consistent with our mission. Mm -hmm. And, you know, in a room of 10 people, three of them fully agree, three of them kind of cock their head and they have a little bit of a question and, mm -hmm. and, you know, two of them are checked out on their phone. So they weren't paying good attention, <laughs> right? But, They're on Twitter. But, 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 you know, <laughs> one, one or two of them say, oh, no, that's not what I understood the mission to be at all. And, yes. Right. And that's just the, the, mm -hmm. the human nature. You mix into that, that um, in some of our churches, we have we've put people or allowed people to be in leadership positions who uh, are probably not as mature in their faith as they should be to be in the, carrying mm. those leadership responsibilities. And mm. so they enter into a discussion or a decision, um, you know, not necessarily asking, genuinely seeking what would God want us to do. Uh, mm. And that makes it even messier. Um, mm -hmm. so, so, I mean, those are just a couple of the reasons that, that it gets mm -hmm. so messy, I think. Yeah. And then you, you mix on top of that, like, that's a great vivid example of those 10 people, you know, you mix on top of that, the power dynamics of who you are versus the people you're leading. And man, I've been in, in that where you realize you get, you get down a road and you realize, oh, like six months ago, you disagreed and never said anything. And here we are today, uh, living with six months of, uh, you know what? I just didn't understand what was going on, and um, um, you know we're now having to retrench and and let's go back to where we were six months ago, and let me lean in as a leader. I need because I didn't create an opportunity for you to actually speak what your concern was, um, and wow, that's a you know that can be difficult. I I wish I did not have vivid examples of that in my mind, but it 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 feels like man, that's just a normal part or has been a normal part of you know of leading. Um, talk to me about our desire. So related to all of this is, is this whole people pleasing issue. Um, you know, so many of us get engaged in leadership and, 
Um, there's a part of it that is rallying people. There's a part of it that's like, hey, a part of my job is it's like the politician side. It's the mayoral side. I've said in other contexts of like, hey, our job is to kind of get people aligned. And and so there's there's a good part of that. But then there's also a part of that that can be literally just people pleasing. It's it's political at its kind of base level. Uh, talk to me about that. What how is that helpful? Not helpful? How, how do we th- how do we think about that? Well, I agree with what you said. Yes, a leader's job is to uh, is to get people aligned, and mm-hmm. so that and, and so an alignment certainly has an element of um, you know the the people who are, are are you know agreeing are you know they agree they're they're happy with this course of action that we're talking mm-hmm. about taking. We're going going mm-hmm. to um, you know we're going to launch a satellite campus, and mm-hmm. we want people we want our other leaders to say. Yes, we agree. That's a good idea. Um, mm-hmm. But people pleasing to me is when uh, a pastor really falls into a mindset of I can't ever let anyone uh, be disappointed in me or frustrated mm-hmm. or upset with me. Uh, mm-hmm. And when when that becomes the mindset, then mm-hmm. it can really stall any kind of change or any kind of progress for the organization, because there's always somebody who's not going to be happy with the decision. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so you'll, you'll end up boiling something down to a much less bold initiative that kind of mm-hmm. looks like a lowest common denominator decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other thing that people I think don't realize when they, when they go too far towards that, let's get everybody on board people pleasing mentality mm-hmm. is you'll actually upset the more innovative forward thinking leaders. And you may lose mm-hmm. some of them in the process. Now, they, mm. they, they often won't say I'm unhappy with you. But so you think about the person who was most excited about that new idea to launch a campus and mm. was, was actually going to be a part of the core team to, to go. And they were ready, ready to launch out. And then somewhere along the way, three or four people said, oh, we're not sure that's a good idea right now. And you pull back away from that and say, maybe we need to wait six mm. or 12 months before we launch the campus. Mm. Now, those bold people who are ready to be who were on board from the start. They may not come back and say, Pastor, I'm really unhappy with you. They might mm-hmm. just silently check out. Right. And so in your effort to please one group of people, you actually displease somebody else without even knowing it. Mm. Well, yeah. And there's that, man, I've seen that tension over the years. There's the, frankly, the most, your more innovative, um, passionate um, leaders, they have the ability because of who they are to check out and to literally leave, uh, you know, a lot quicker than, uh, you know, than, than people, than maybe some of those resistors that we're talking about people that are, um, you know, that are slowing us down a little bit because of just who they are. And that, you know, man, that's, that, that can be dangerous because you're, you're, you can lose some of that, that innovation pretty quickly. Yeah, they, they, hmm. that's exactly right. And it may be that they will just check out rather than actually leave. And that's just a, that's a loss, right? That's a missed opportunity. Yep. There was some research a dozen or so years ago of really high profile Christian leaders in business and politics and, and media. And one mm-hmm. of one of the most striking findings that came out of that, it's it's by Michael Lindsay in a book called Faith in the Halls of Power. And one mm-hmm. of the most striking findings was that many of those people were not very engaged in their local churches. They were members, mm-hmm. but they were not engaged. And one of the primary reasons they gave for not being engaged is that they found the the slow moving bureaucracy and unwillingness to change in a local church to be so frustrating that they decided to give their 
energies like to a large Christian nonprofit where mm -hmm. they felt like they could have better in, better impact. Um, mm -hmm. And you think about that, if you have a, a, a significant business leader who has great gifts to offer, but the way we're doing leadership actually causes them just to check out what a, what a loss for our local mm. churches. Yeah, what a loss. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Interesting. Well, so I, I, I got to say, when I read this, when I saw this book, uh, the thing that struck me on this is that this, I think, could be a great resource for leadership teams to go through together. It, it felt like one of those great books where like your... Uh, like the what you do so well, being the friend, the consultant sitting on the outside of the circle and saying, hey, friends, like, here's some things that you should be thinking about. Uh, and let's talk through that together. And I felt like, man, you've translated that well. When you were writing this book, what were you hoping the kind of impact or the use of it? I pictured it as a great book for our leadership team to do together. Hey, this would be less than like a I'm just a solo person reading it. Sure, you could get something out of it as a solo person reading it by yourself. But man, I think it would be even better, even if it's just one more person, one other person that you could read it with. It really struck me that that would be the best context. But tell me what you were thinking. How, how did you hope this book would be used in churches? No, very much what you said, Rich. Yeah, I would, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd see it as being a book for a leadership team to look at together. Uh, certainly, mm -hmm. like you said, I think... Uh, one person could still get a lot out of it. You know, that, mm -hmm. that conversation that you talked about with your friend earlier, earlier mm -hmm. today, mm -hmm. uh, I would hope that, uh, that when that resistance popped up, when that person said, I'm comfortable, that if mm -hmm. your friend had read this book, the idea that would go through their mind is, oh yeah, resistors are not the enemy. I, I don't need to mm -hmm. immediately, you know, kind of mm -hmm. treat this person mm -hmm. as, as a bad person. But mm -hmm. it's even better if a leadership team can can wrestle with those ideas together. And so the the mm -hmm. ten perspectives, which are the subtitle, they're mm -hmm. all written as as sort of short. Uh, hopefully, the readers would find them to be pithy phrases that a leadership mm -hmm. team could could all hang on to. So one of the one of those perspectives uh, is who is not in the room, and mm -hmm. the idea behind that is that as leaders we we can quickly fall into this uh, pattern of, of making decisions just thinking about the perspectives of the people who are around the leadership table mm. but as a church we're supposed to be thinking about the people who are not there it goes back to that comfort mm -hmm. question again right mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who's not here who's not a part of our church that god is calling us to reach that god is calling us mm -hmm. to have a positive impact with mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. and you know again the the chapter title and the phrase is who's not in the room because i would love for a leadership team to just embed that phrase into their thinking so that mm. whenever they're making leadership decisions they say hey before we make this decision have we really thoughtfully considered who's not in the room right right love it love it well and there's and and there's so many of these friends in this in this book so you know lead with trust dig beneath the surface take the right next step uh, heavy loads require strong teams. There's, I, I think this is a, it's a culture shaping book in that sense where it gives, you know, great kind of concepts to hang on to. Uh, Mike, where, where can people pick up copies of this? Again, friends, I, I'm encouraging you not to pick up one. I'd love for you to pick up a bunch of these, but uh, you know, where, where can people pick up copies of, uh, of this book? I mean, it's on all the right, you know, it's on Amazon and all the regular online ordering spots. And, and, uh, mm -hmm. you know, on my website, there's a link, there's a short, um, blurb about it and a link, uh, mm -hmm. to order it as well. Yeah. And what's your website address again? It's mikebonham.com. So and Bonham is spelled B-O-N-E-M. Yeah, I would love for people to go over there. And like I say, I, so I'm a subscriber. I read Mike's stuff when it comes. I, I get a lot of church stuff and I can say when Mike's stuff shows up in my inbox, 
I read it. So you should as well. Uh, super helpful uh, content and, you know, thoughtful and just, just fantastic. So I, I would uh, go over there and, and, and subscribe to Mike's uh, list for sure. Uh, anything I'll else you'd like to rich, share? Yeah. Oh, come on. Yeah, it's thanks. good stuff. And anything <laughs> well, else? Uh, you'll notice I don't say that every time other people are on. Um, anything else that uh, you'd like to share or anything else we'd like to kind of talk about just as we're coming to land uh, today's episode? You know, I guess the um, one other thing and just in this broad heading of change uh, that I'm aware mm. of is how hard it can be to be the change leader. Uh, mm. And so for pastors, senior pastors, executive pastors, others who are listening to this and, you know, you're feeling like, yeah, gosh, you know, there's some change we really need to make. And then at the same time, maybe you're just feeling uh, just discouraged, right? Think about how hard it's going to be. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I at least want to acknowledge that and honor mm -hmm. that. Uh, mm -hmm. Yes, it's hard. And I think one of the most, one of the most important things you could do for yourself, if you, if, if I'm describing you right now, mm -hmm. is do a little bit of self-care and soul care uh, mm. and make sure you're not doing it all by yourself. Uh, if you don't have a team that's working with you uh, to clarify what changes are needed and then to and it goes back again, one of those chapter titles, heavy loads to mm. have a team that's going to help you lift that heavy load. Uh, mm. Do that before you do anything else. Mm. That's so good. Well, friends, uh, I really appreciate Mike. I appreciate his leadership. You should follow him uh, for sure. Like I say, pick up a bunch of copies of this book and and follow along with him. I think you'll be uh, you'll be blessed by by doing that. I think it'll help your ministry uh, as we face a tough season. Mike, I appreciate you uh, being here. Thanks so much for being here today. Thanks so much, Rich. Really uh, appreciate your podcast and all that you do and, and glad to have this opportunity. Thanks for tuning in to the Unseminary Podcast. Drop by unseminary.com for more helpful resources for you and your team. There you will find articles, online courses, and so much more. Unseminary, stuff you wish they taught in seminary. Presented by CDF Capital. Visit them at cdf.capital forward slash unseminary.